Good morning, everybody. My name is Stuart, and it is great to be here with you on this beautiful day. Isn't it a wonderful summer? Summer? Feels like summer. I'm wearing a shirt, rolled up sleeves. Um, Not quite shorts weather, but um, it's very good. So last week at this service, uh, Claire and Dominic brought their two-year-old William to be baptized. A time of great joy, celebrating this new life and wanting to thank God for William. And it was also a time of promises for Claire and Dominic and William's godparents. But just imagine if Richard, who was leading the baptism, asked the family and godparents all to come up front and then instantly said, the, said to them the words of John, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with their repentance. Actually, I'm not quite sure Richard would be asked to baptize children again. But here we have John in the desert, starting just like that. Let's just backtrack a little. Um, It would help if you had your Bibles open uh, on page 1029, Luke chapter 3. Or, of course, do feel free to keep your phone open with your Bible apps. So Luke starts this chapter at the beginning of uh, chapter 3 with a history lesson, reminding the reader of exactly where we are in time. Look in verse 1 and 2. This is a typical way of saying what year it is. It's like saying, um, let me just remind you of what he says. He says, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. So it's like saying, instead of saying it's year 2018, imagine we didn't really have that system and we had the system where we said, we're now in the 65th year of the reign of Queen Elizabeth. I did have to look that up, by the way. So the 65th year of the reign of Elizabeth. This is how people knew where to place this event in time. What Luke is saying is that this is really important. And it's so important to know when it happened. And he doesn't want anybody to get confused. John came at this particular time, as we heard last week, to prepare the way of the Lord, to make straight paths for him. And the word from John had got around, and now in our passage we can see crowds were coming out to be baptized by him. Now prior to this, baptism baptism was thought of in a very different way compared to how we think of it today. The way baptism was thought of by Jewish people before John was that it was the way that if you weren't born Jewish, but you wanted to become Jewish, for them, it was the way for them to become Jewish as unclean non-Jews to be washed clean and then they would be able to be fully clean and be considered truly one of God's holy people, a true son and daughter of Israel. So the Jewish people saw baptism as needed for non-Jews but certainly not for Jews. The Jewish people who had the heritage of being uh, born God's people coming from a long line of people that started from Abraham and Sarah more than a thousand years previously, they certainly wouldn't have thought that they needed to be baptized. This is why what John is saying is so scandalous in saying that they needed to be baptized to, too, be washed clean. So right from the start, we can see that John is the type of preacher who doesn't hold back what he thinks. The people are all coming out of the desert, out to the desert, for all sorts of different reasons. 
just like here in, the, in our church today, every single one of us is here for unique reasons. We come from unique lives. Our relationship with God is unique to us. You may be here because you've just come along with someone else, a husband or a wife or a family member or a friend. You may also be here because it's Christmas time and you just wanted to come along to church. Maybe you keep coming every week and by now you're not quite sure why you come, but you seem to love it. Or every week you may actually love to come, longing to come, to then be able to go out into the world with renewed energy and a sense of purpose. So you may be here reluctantly, maybe willingly, or maybe really nonplussed either way. Whatever reason you're here, first of all, can I say, you're very, very welcome. This is a great place to be. So here, back in our passage, just like us this morning, we have a group of mixed people coming out to the desert to see what is happening. What is the fuss about with this new prophet? Well, Israel hadn't had a prophet now for some 400 years. And now the state of Israel was in a real mess. There was occupation by the Roman Empire. And it seemed like God had been silent for a long time. And yet now, at last, this fiery man in the desert, who some say is Elijah, come back. Or could he even be the Messiah that the great prophets of old, like Isaiah, talked about? So out they trundle to the desert. And what does John do immediately? He challenges them out of their complacency. If you think that being of the line of Israel, a descendant of Abraham, counts for anything, it doesn't. God could even turn these stones to the children of Abraham. And then he warns them that the axe is at the root of the tree. Judgment is coming fast. There is no room for complacency. John's message is strong and fiery, yes. And it would be very easy to just skip over this passage and get back to the comfortable chapters just a few before, the Christmas story. But I think if we do, it's we're missing a vital part of the gospel, the good news contained in the Bible. So where are we complacent? Where are we resting on our laurels? Are we consciously or unconsciously thinking to ourselves that we're okay, everything's good, or at least it's okay? We're not that bad a person. We're kind, we're a nice family, we're respectable, etc., etc. Well, John certainly brought up and pricked the conscience of those people in the desert. The people standing there listening to John ask the right question. Maybe the question we need to ask this morning. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John then has three instructions for them. The man with two tunics should share with him who has none. The one who has food should do the same. If our desire is to know God, we also need to love our neighbor to want to care for others in need, to have compassion as God has compassion. And this shouldn't just be a desire alone. This should lead to action. In our church, we decided this Christmas to support the charity Christians Against Poverty, a charity that strives to do, as John says. 
Their mission is to help people to be set free from poverty and the causes of poverty. So they have one-to-one debt counsellors, getting back-to-work coaching, and substance abuse help. So do think whether you want to get involved this Christmas with this charity or others like it. Or even better, if you want to get involved directly with helping, there are plenty of opportunities to volunteer with one of our mission partners. There are plenty of details about all of those on our website, or do talk to Patrick or myself later. Well, back in the desert, there's a group listening to John from Her Majesty's uh, Revenue and Customs, the tax collectors. Now, making no further connection with our honorable HMRC and these tax collectors, who I think, I think HMRC are brilliant. They're so friendly when you ring up. Um, these tax collectors are very different, though. They really look down upon, they're really looked down upon by the Israelite on the street. They were doing two things that the people despised. Firstly, they were the puppets of the Roman occupying forces collecting money for them. And secondly, they often collected more than they should, more than their Roman bosses told them to, lining their own pockets. John tackles this too directly. Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. John is saying they, and by implication us, should do what is fair and just. There's no room for injustice for those who seek out God. So in our modern lives, what is our tolerance to allowing others to benefit, to allow ourselves, sorry, to benefit unjustly? Even little things. For example, imagine at work, we get a compliment from our boss for good work, which we really haven't had much to do with. Do we correct our boss, explaining who should really be getting the compliment, or do we just let it go? Or when we get the wrong change in a shop, is our immediate response to say something? Or do we always pay the right, for the right ticket on the train? Or do we just go one more stop than we've paid for? Or two if we paid to Surbiton? This is also reiterated in John's next advice to the soldiers there, bravened by the tax collectors they ask. And what should we do? John says... Don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Now, soldiers at that time would literally have the power of, over life and death for people. Their word was enough to have people executed on the spot. They held a level of power that's hard to imagine. Now, again, trying to bring that back to our modern life. Which of us has influence over other people's f- future? And are we completely fair and honest in our dealings with others under our care? Imagine, say, at work. At the moment, my, at my work, we're just starting the annual reviews um, where we review people's year. And are we being completely fair and showing no favoritism between different people in our teams? James, Jesus' brother, would write later on, But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law. All three of these instructions from John were really practically, were really practical then and indeed are to now. 
But the people wanted more. Verse 15, the people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. John's passion and words compelled the people to wonder if he could be the Messiah, the Christ, God's anointed one, come to save his people once and for all. Though all John's good words above are great and challenging, what the people needed is a saviour and a Messiah, and they so hope it's John. Well, the wonderful thing about Christianity is that it's not about a set of rules at all. There's a clue in the word, Christianity. We follow Christ, Jesus. We follow a person, a person who enables us to have a relationship with God directly, a person, Jesus, who loves us so much and through this love has given us given up everything so that we can be forgiven and we can know him. John brought to the people the gift of repentance through baptism. Repentance, acknowledging that we need to be saved, that we mess up and we need forgiveness. John brought baptism by water to ready the people of Israel for the most important event of all time, the coming of Jesus. So John says that he baptizes with water But Jesus will baptize with something far more powerful. He will baptize with fire and the Holy Spirit. John, this man that the world saw as a holy man, a man of God, speaking for and about God in the desert, now says that he's not even worthy to untie Jesus' sandals. Now Jews wouldn't even let Jewish servants untie their sandals. It was the lowest of low jobs. Imagine how filthy feet would have been in those Israel streets. John says that Jesus is so powerful and so mighty and perfect and holy that he isn't even worthy for this task. This is the Jesus who we are all waiting for at this time of year. This mighty and powerful Jesus would lay aside everything to be born in a stable, to become man, to live with us, and some 30 or so years later, to die for each of us, his friends. He would say later, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends. John heralded good news, no great news of the coming of Jesus. But John is John, and again, he doesn't hold back. The coming of Jesus is great news, but only if we accept him and his free gift. There will come a time on that judgment day when those who have accepted Jesus will be welcomed into his presence, but those that haven't will not. John paints this stark picture talking of Jesus. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but... He will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So with all the preparation for this coming Christmas, let's not forget the most important preparation, to take time and consider anew Jesus' amazing rescue plan that started on that night in Bethlehem, continued to Calvary, and through his resurrection, he now invites us to walk with him, truly celebrating Christmas as the event that changes everything 
for all time. Amen.